Hey, Carl and Richard here. As you may have heard, NDC is back, offering their incredible in-person conferences around the world. And we'd like to tell you about them. NDC Security Oslo has been rescheduled to April 3rd through the 6th. Go to ndc-security.com to register. NDC London has been rescheduled to May 8th through the 12th. Go to ndc-london.com to register. NDC Copenhagen is March 14th through the 17th. Go to ndccopenhagen.com to register. NDC Porto is happening April 24th through the 28th. Early bird discount for NDC Porto ends February 1st. Go to ndcporto.com to register. NDC Minnesota is happening September 27th through the 30th. Go to ndcminnesota.com to register. Check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And it's a new year, and uh, Brian Lagunas is with us. We're going to be talking about Prism and other client technologies and whatever else he wants to talk to. But first, how are you, Mr. Campbell? You're surviving the uh, surviving 2022 so far? Uh, so far, so good. You know, all the geek outs are out now, and so there's been some response. Yeah, there's uh, been a little response. Kind of, kind of normal, and uh, yeah, it's good. things are good. Yep. It said it turned to rain around here, which is actually what we know how to do in Pacific Northwest. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the snow is going away, and and things going on. The old dogs, uh, it's getting it'll be the last days. Oh man, are and we gonna have? You a know what? Eulogy? I feel pretty good about it because he we really done everything for him, and uh, yeah. it's a brain tumor. We're we're almost dead certain now, and so yeah, it's yeah. like as soon as the seizures start coming on hard. Uh, that'll be the end. We're now into the medicines that are dangerous and bad in the long yeah, term. Right. But he doesn't have any long term. Palliative so. care. Palliative care. And yeah. uh, now he's a great dog and he's been a great 17 years and uh, I'll be sad to see him go, but uh, he's earned it. Wow. He's almost as old as .NET Rocks. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't, this dog is, yeah, everybody's like, he's how old? Because he looks great, you know, yeah. except for that whole falls down, twitches on the ground, loses control of blah and batter thing on a regular basis. Mm. Yeah, he does look pretty good, but he's very old. So I bet it's bittersweet for you. You're probably looking forward to some non-pet time. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, me, I live with so many animals as a child. I really didn't need any more, but sometimes you're outnumbered one to one. I can remember that one. Yeah, and uh, and maintaining the chart of meds every like eight hours and stuff like it's not a trivial job to keep this dog sort of functional. Yeah, um, and I'm hanging on to the best memories of. Oh, but you know the older daughter who's the artist, right? I mean, right, living as a web comic and so forth. Over the fall, she just sort of took up the habit, the the uh, the technique of felting. This using felt to make sculptures. Huh. She sculpted a replica of Zach, like four what? inches tall. Wow. Looks just like him. Like, it's stunning. I am moved. That is so amazing. It's so beautiful. And what a beautiful thing to do, huh? Well, I mean, she lost her cat last year, too. And yeah. so she was, she's made a few copies of the cat for herself and her sister. And and so I think she's just very aware that Zach's end days are here. And it's like, you're going to want one of these. And so she made it for me. You know, I'd like to point out, like, the difference between, uh, you know, what you and your family does when the loss of a pet, you know, felt sculpture. And what yeah. I imagine uh, Miller's family would do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because they have one of their dogs is in for cancer surgery. Like, I know. 
I know. Yeah. That's why I'm thinking of, you know, are they going to have him stuffed or maybe tried to clone him or? Well, lots know. of people asked me if I was going to clone Zach. He's a very unusual dog. And I'm tempted because I'm fascinated by all of that until I actually understood the cloning process. Brian's looking at us like, hey, I thought this was .NET Rocks. What the <laughs> hell are you guys talking about? We're going to end up with a cloning geek out. Like, the here's the problem with cloning. It's It only works like 1% of the time. Yeah. And so they make, a, they do a lot. The reason they charge you $50,000 to do it is they make a lot of attempts and a lot of suffering creatures die to oh. make your one clone. And I cannot live with that. I'm yeah. not. I am not prepared for the amount of suffering that making a copy of Zach would cause. I wouldn't do that either. I can't. It's not me. I can't yeah. do that. Well, but you could, you know, hold some of his DNA. So in the future. Yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to. I like the memories. I've had enough death in my life to know perfectly well the memories are better than the reality. Okay. So, well said. You know, I've got it. One of my neighbors took a beautiful photograph of Zach and put it on canvas for me. So oh. I have this canvas of him. I have the little felty thing. Like, I have excellent memories. Excellent. And that is enough. All right. Let's move away from this one and uh, yeah. roll the music for better know a framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? Well, I have been sort of in streaming mode lately, and I don't mean video streaming, I don't mean watching Netflix, and I don't mean using uh, System.io stream. I'm talking about streaming, async streaming, with uh, C-sharp. In C-sharp 8, you know, we have this uh, iAsync enumerable type. Right. And with that, it allows you to pull out lists of things. And then instead of waiting for the whole list to populate and then returning the whole list, every single item that you create in that uh, enumerable, you yield return it. And then whoever's calling it gets that immediately. And so it's, a, it's an easy way to stream. Now, of course, you can do it just on your desktop or you can do it with SignalR. Or you can do it with Web API and REST. Oh, wow. Or you can do it with gRPC. Okay. So I have uh, dove into, I know it's Dovin? not a word, but I felt like Dovin? it. I've dove into, because you know what? I'm in America. We make up our own words here. <laughs> uh, Deal with I've, it. I dove into uh, streaming with SignalR. So I'm going to have three links here. Okay. Uh, one is Blazor Trains streaming with SignalR. And cool. that one is probably the first one you should watch because I talk about streaming in general right. and the mechanisms behind it. And then I do a comparison with REST streaming, you know, Web API versus gRPC and show the differences in, uh, well, I, was, I would say scalability, not necessarily performance, but at the end mm -hmm. of the day, performance as well. Uh, and then I just did a uh, the.NET show uh, episode 16, where I use gRPC streaming with Maui. Cool. Yeah. So it's really cool. You press a button on your Maui app, and you hit a gRPC stream to download 5,000 records. I know nobody should ever do that. Don't do that. Why are you doing that? I'm. This is a demo. Stop. Don't write me. I know. <laughs> but anyway... After 20 milliseconds, the first screen is full. 
Nice. And the rest of them just come in. Because it's streamed. So you're not waiting for the 5,000. It's literally as the bytes arrive. Right. You can't scroll down fast enough to keep up yeah. with it. So what are you worried about? The customer yeah. goes, boom. Oh, there's 5,000 records. And then it's a few like, seconds later, yeah. they're done. No, but close enough. And yeah. There's enough records to keep you distracted. Like I used to have to just do a, a spinning wheel or a bouncing ball. No, I'm actually going to show you some data. How about exactly. that? So if you're not already hip to streaming, uh, you should be because this is the way I am going to be returning lists of uh, records at wherever possible from whatever endpoints from now on. Um, check out the links at .netrocks.com. And uh, this is show 1777. And you can just go there and look at the links and uh, you'll see it. That's what I got. Awesome. Yeah. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off a show, 1672, we did back in January of 2020 with one Brian Lagunas. Yeah. When oddly enough, we were talking about client technologies because we are prone to such things with Brian, actually. Although yeah. it's been, you know, two years, right? It's now 2022. Mm. And had a ton of great comments on the show, many of which I read at various times along the way. But I hadn't read this one. It's two years old. It's still great because it said because it was actually referring to we ended up in a conversation about Win8 and WinJS and you know, again, the impact of client technologies uh, back in the day, right? XAML and so forth. And Andreas says, uh, regarding the WinJS stuff, I can really relate to the frustration around it. I mean, it made it to V1 and that's it, dude. It's like, that's a hint. Uh, one of my first projects in my first job out of college was writing a Windows 8 application. I'm sorry. And the tech <laughs> lead had decided that we should do it with WinJS because... Quote, this was the future. Yeah. And certainly that's how it was presented. Uh, imagine being sufficient in Java and C Sharp and then being asked to learn JavaScript, jQuery, and WinJS at the same time. Yeah. Safe to say, there was a bit of confusion. I'm thinking there was. Yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> so I get a bad feeling when someone tries to include web development ways into desktop and mobile development. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a, it, it is a very interesting challenge that we're trying to cross these things over. That's because in the end, our customers want our software to work wherever they want our software to work. Right. And we're, we are trying to build a kind of universal solution to it. You know, you think about your links in yeah. streaming, right? And Maui and so forth. It's all about the, exactly that problem. Right. So Andreas, sorry about the WinJS stuff. I hope it didn't scar you permanently. A, uh, a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at donnetrocks.com or on the Facebooks because we publish every show there. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Stream us a tweet. What? You want more? Java. You're waiting for, <laughs> waiting for the punchline? That is it, the, man. The first, the first bites have already arrived. Who cares about the rest of them? Yeah, there's a that's like swatting a fly with a Buick right there. Stream a tweet. <laughs> yes. All right, don't stream a tweet. Send us a tweet. We want to read it. Yeah. And uh maybe maybe we will, maybe we won't. Well, we always read them, but maybe we'll mention it on the air. All right, let's bring on our guest, Brian Lagunas, who's been patiently waiting backstage. He is a Microsoft MVP, a Microsoft Parents and Practices champion, leader of the Boise.net developers user group. Board member of Boise Code Camp, speaker, trainer, and plural site author. <gasps> he can be found speaking at a variety of developer events around the world, and his talks always involve some form of markup, like XAML or HTML, as well as how to build well-architected applications with Prism. 
In his spare time, he authors courses for Pluralsight, blogs, and live streams about various technologies and manages the Prism Library. The easiest way to find Brian is on Twitter, at Brian Lagunas. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a very long time. It has been too long. I haven't done a lot of conferences lately, I suspect. No, there, there, there haven't. Uh, there haven't been any, really. I haven't gone anywhere in two years. Yeah, it's funny. That last show we did with you that I read the comment from was like right before it all hit. Yeah. You know, I think we shot it in December, published early, early January. That was back when I was thinking about, hey, the new decade, let's think about in 20, you know, in the 2020s, what is this going to look like? Yeah. And then, of course, the pandemic has derailed all of that and more. So one of the, one of my uh, fondest moments from uh, the last several 10, 12, 20, 40 years, whatever, was uh, running into you, I think it was at Ordev in Sweden, in the, in the, uh, where we were having breakfast. Oh. Do you remember that? We sat at the same table. We had a great conversation. Yeah, I think it was uh, NDC. No. Uh, was it NDC? I think it was at NDC, Oslo. Oh, yeah. It might have been. Yeah. That's right. But anyway, it, it's just a, an example of, you know, we have these great friends that we only see in other places around the world. You know, it's like we don't we don't hang out on the weekends, you know, we, but, you know, used to be three or four times a year we'd, we'd see each other and, uh, you know, at a conference. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So I, you know, I've been working from home for well over ten years. Uh, I don't have any local friends really. All my friends are in the community. So back when we were traveling, I'd see all my friends at least once a month. I've gone at least a week a month at events or whatever. Right. And now I haven't seen any friends in in two years, and it's it's kind of crazy. Like I like I need a trip. I need to see my friends. Like right, okay. right. You know, I'm all alone over here. <laughs> Either that or you got to make uh, friends with rednecks next door. Oh, yeah. Huh. I, I like to stay at home. When I'm home, I like to stay at home. Yeah, yeah. I find it's really hard, though. You you have these dual personalities, right? I mean, Richard has the same issue, right? There's people in your neighborhood, Richard, who know you as, you know... The, A neighbor. The, your neighbor. The guy who used to build computers and fix things and put together stuff or whatever. You you don't talk to them about you know cloud technologies. You know? Not so much. No. <laughs> but you have you know great neighborhood parties and you see them all the time. Yeah, and it's funny. It's like I still do that electronic stuff, and often for them as well, right? Like, sure. You know, you've had that experience of somebody handing me something electronic, just take it downstairs and repair it, and here you go. Yep. <laughs> you, know, yeah. that's, that's you know, another thing that that I miss that I think is kind of lost when you we don't interact with a lot of people is those hallway discussions where ideas are born. Yes. Like you're having a conversation and then boom, an app idea or an API idea oh, yeah. or something just randomly comes out of the blue and it's like, now you have your next project. Well, I haven't had those conversations. So it's, it's harder for me to bounce off ideas off myself. Yeah, to yeah do I've that been next, talking to myself a lot and I'm just not that interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything interesting to say, I swear. How have the virtual user group uh, meetings gone for you? Have that Has that filled the gap a little bit? No, actually, we... Uh, our user group just stopped doing virtual. It's we, the yeah. attendance was super low. It was hard to find. Yeah. It's even harder to find people who'd uh, want to present. Yeah, and so yeah. we just it's on hold until uh, Microsoft because we hold our uh, event at the Microsoft office. As soon as they loosen up their their COVID protocols and open the doors back up, we'll we'll start having uh, in person yeah. meetings again. But I think people are doing screen time all day. They're not going to do it in the evening as well. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Although I get, you know, I get um, messages from people who have user groups and then afterwards they like to just hang out on Zoom, you know? Yeah. And so they invite you and you, you know, that's fun. I like that. I need more of that. 
It is fun. <laughs> uh, we got to get to the topic because yeah. I haven't thought about Prism since the last time we talked, I swear. Like, it's been two <laughs> years. I have really not thought a lot about it. Well, Prism's going strong. Uh, it's still still pumping along. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. we just surpassed 28 million downloads over its Nougat lifetime. Wow. That's, wow. that's not including the downloads that we lost on CodePlex and, you know, back then where you had to, like, download the executable and all that stuff. Uh, right. But in its in its Nougat lifetime, uh, it's over 28 million downloads. That's so awesome. Yeah, something. Yeah, no question. And it's just come a long way. And and certainly what I like is it's, it's, it seems like it's really just it's thriving external to Microsoft. Mm. Oh, yeah. It, it's taken off even more from when Microsoft had it. Uh, you know, you open yeah. it up, you give it to the community, and it, it just grows from there. Uh, but, yeah, uh, you know, we've been doing a lot with Xamarin lately. Mm-hmm. Right now, now with Maui coming, uh, we've been focusing some effort into the Maui space. Things are a little different there, so we have to do like the initialization a little different. Uh, yeah. And you can only do Maui on the preview bits, which can be yeah. painful. Uh, if we're honest, yeah. it's extremely troublesome to even get Maui yeah. to work on my machine. Yeah, you you do have to find. I I I went to the to the cloud. I set up a, a VM. And, you know, that's where I do all my development for, for preview stuff. And it's great because it, there's no cross-contamination and you get it working once. I even got my local Android phone to work with uh, Visual Studio in a VM in the cloud nice. using a particular tool. I should blog about that. But anyway. Um, yeah, it's great, so, great thing. But, but I know what you mean. It's like preview bits are hard. You, you have to get used to closing Visual Studio when you get errors that don't mean anything that you know aren't real, it runs. Yep. However, you're getting squiggles on stupid stuff. Close Visual Studio, run it again, and it usually works. But then, yeah, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> yeah. it doesn't. You open it back up, and it's still all messed up, and it won't build. And but that's also that's a that's a knowledge point at that point, right? Yeah. But you go, you've you've got these stages of suspicion, like it's not working right. Yeah. I'm going to shut it down and bring it back up and look again. Oh, now it looks different. Okay. It's like it was just operating rot. Oh, okay. It looks the same. Now let's go look at the next possibility. Like it's just a sequence of debugging. Well, I just love, you know, system object. No, are you missing an assembly reference? <laughs> what? Well, I just pretty recently, sure I'm not. <laughs> I just recently, just a couple days ago when I was on vacation, wiped my computer. I did the yearly Windows wipe and reload. Full, bear, full rebuild. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Because. I had all these preview bits, and then my normal Visual Studio wouldn't work. It's like, oh my, my my machine was a mess. So yeah, I have no more preview bits on this machine, and I don't think I'm going to put them on. That's until nothing it's that Reg better. Clean is going to help with. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I appreciate your thinking, Carl. It's like literally setting up VMs you can throw away. Yep. For playing with these bits because they just do. If you need a machine that works. I've just done it with multiple machines, right? I have yeah. a clean machine that's quiet, like no pop-ups. Right. It's for writing and coding and stuff that works reliably. Mm. And then they have other machines that are like, ah, we could screw that machine up some more. What the hell? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. So what is the state of Prism in 2022? Stable. Yay. <laughs> did it, Ma- did I mature s- and stable. I, did I see you've done an implementation for Uno now as well? It it does have an implementation from Uno. So Jerome over at uh, at Uno submitted a quite large PR that we had to go through. Uh, but yes, there is Prism for Uno now. Uh, that's wow, been in there cool. for a few months now. 
That's that's really cool. And yeah, it's interesting. They they did the work, but you still have to decide if you're going to add it into the project. Like that's not a small thing. Uh, it's not. And one thing you know, a lot of OSS or people who use OSS don't understand. You know, mm -hmm. they'll submit their PRs, they'll submit their, and you don't take it, and they're all mad. It's like, well, once I take it, it becomes mine. Right. Yeah. You know, all the problems, all the bugs, all the questions, all the how-tos, all the documentation, everything becomes mine. And so we don't take everything. Right. But at the minimum, like, you're thinking along, especially with those big PRs. Like, those big PRs scare the snot out of me. We see this at HDBox all the time. It's, Somebody runs off and does a bunch of work they think is important, having not talked to anybody that's been working on the project, and then drops this massive PR. And I'm like, I appreciate you've done a tremendous amount of work here. It's just nothing that we need. Yeah. Like, I really I wish you would have talked to us first. Yeah. That would be good, especially in the case of, I mean, we're building disaster response software here. Like, we have professionals that are guiding us in the needs. Yeah. Right? That's why the wiki's full of pages and stuff. Like, it's, it freaks me out. Like just, ah, because I hate that people have wasted, you know, my biggest concern is wasted effort, wasted volunteer effort. Like it, it upsets yeah. me. Yeah. Well, Jerome, he, you know, we communicated, we were on discord and, uh, we walked him through, he reused, it was actually the beauty of .NET. Actually, mm. he shared probably 99% of everything. He only had to add a few if defs for certain APIs nice. in a different location. Uh, but other than that, it was just linking files and building to a new target platform. That was it. Well, that's also a respectful way to go about it too. That, that he's try and use as much of your code as possible. Deal with as few the fewest number of if defs. Yep, I think is a great metric for this is a healthy approach. Can can I back up just a little bit? Um, and I want to do I do this every time that we talk about something we haven't talked about in a long time. Um, probably a lot of listeners out there who don't use Prism and, you know, might think, you know, why do I need that? This is sort of, um, additional stuff that, you know, I, I can do manually. Um, but the idea of using a, a library like Prism, isn't it to standardize sort of how, uh, components fit together, how view models fit together and, and work with a, a single interface that is repeatable across all UIs? Is that the main idea or? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, in loose terms, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's basically a framework to help you implement various standards and patterns of building software. Uh, that way it, it's built the same way. Things are decoupled, placed where they need to be. Right. Everything works. Everything's testable, maintainable, extensible, all that great stuff. Mm. Uh, and it really helps if you standardize on something, even if you don't use something like Prism, and you roll your own framework. Right. Well, you standardize on your own framework instead. So when you build apps, you can jump from one app to another, and the context switching isn't as dramatic, right? You know where something's going to be. Right. That's really it. So whether I'm doing a WPF app or a Blazor app or a Maui app or a Xamarin Forms app, the way that I integrate my views, my models, my view models, uh, the commands, um, navigation, navigation, venting. Right. I just put this prism layer on top of it and suddenly everything is familiar. Exactly. It just helps guide you down to a path to success. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it doesn't reinvent the wheel. Uh, it just, it uses patterns and practices that most dev you every day anyways. Right. Uh, but it just bundles them up nice to help it lead you down a path to success. Yep. I like it. 
Yeah, and an encouragement of doing the right thing, right? It's like, oh, exactly. You're, you're going down the MVVM path, and you're going to want to look at these things. Like these are going to be your concerns. That's not to say you can't take a left off that path and get totally screwed up and come, you know, oh sure, make it super complex. Uh, but at its heart, Prism really is quite simple. No, no library will stop you from hurting yourself ultimately. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and that's what it comes down to. Because you know, historically, Prism always has this this uh, reputation of being heavy and complex. And when I hear that, I always ask questions like, what do you mean by heavy? Mm. You know, the, uh, the library itself is only like 10 KB. I mean, it's really yeah. not wow. a big library. Uh, so what's your definition of heavy? What do you mean? Like a lot of concepts, you know, is that what you mean? Like, so it's, it's really, it's really tough. Is heavy having a plan? Is that what yeah. heavy is? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Making sure you think about, oh, how's this view model testable, right? Oh, how's this right. service going to be used? Oh, how can, you know, all these these questions. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it has a bad rep for no reason mm -hmm. because. Well, it, the earlier incarnation from Microsoft going back a long way was very different. Like you. Yes. Clearly evolved it. it. It came from heavier roots, yeah. I think might be the polite way to say it. That was back when it was called the uh, comp Composite Application Block. That's right. It had a cool code name like Aphrodite or something, right? <laughs> application Blocks. I remember that was the PMP yeah. sort of uh, yeah. mark of the PMP thing. Yeah. And it, and those were quite a bit weightier. Yeah, they were. Uh, but over the years, things have, you know, you open it up and things get improved. The community community contributes uh, and we streamline things and we start sharing more code across platforms. And yeah, now you can take, I can share a module and uh, I could package up a module. What I mean is a class library that implements a prism interface, a single mm -hmm. prism interface. And I can plug that into any prism app and it'll work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can wow. put that in a, in a NuGet package, right? I can, I can put that module in a NuGet package install that into an app I want to use and it just works. Nice. That's how beautiful it is now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's probably due to the the nature of .net core, isn't it? That it's just Yes. it goes everywhere. Uh once .net core came, it really opened up everything for Prism. Yeah, I mentioned Blazor. What about Blazor? Uh, cuz it's kind of this weird component thing that it doesn't it, it, it isn't uh client side per se but it is but it's just in the browser what are your plans to to address blazer uh there are no plans uh i don't i don't think prism belongs in blazer uh it doesn't make sense for blazer uh i i just don't i don't see it because blazer kind of has all the stuff built in that prism solves it does uh, dependency injection blazer's got it yeah navigation blazer's got it yeah validation blazer's got it mm. you know testing that's outside of Prism and Blazor together. Right. Uh, so I don't know if it makes sense. So there aren't any standard interfaces you could sort of like, you know, do you as a Prism developer go to Blazor and say, wait a minute, I don't, this is kind of unfamiliar territory. And if there were more familiar interfaces, let's say that on top of what Blazor is already doing would that, would that make sense? I, I haven't found a need yeah. for, for Prism on Blazor. I just haven't found it. Well, that says a lot about Blazor, doesn't it? Yeah, it's certainly coming at it from a different direction, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, if you look at like Angular, Angular has a lot of stuff built in. It has dependency injection. Mm. It has all the navigation and passing parameters and, and all that stuff. And so, I mean, it's it's a full package thing already. Like, right. what do you need? Right, I yeah. get you. As opposed you know? to Maui then? Yeah, Maui is. 
and Xamarin Forms are these client-side technologies that all of the things that Brian just listed off there are optional. Right. They're, they're not required. Yeah, so in Xamarin Forms, that stuff doesn't exist, except for page-based navigation. Now, Prism for like Xamarin Forms in Maui, what it does is it simplifies. It works on top of the existing APIs. I'll use navigation as an example mm -hmm. uh, for Xamarin Forms. So Xamarin Forms navigation is super complex, like super complex. Each page has its own stack. You have a modal stack, a non-modal stack. You could have a master detail page with a detail that's a navig that's a tab page. It has a navigation page. It has a content page. And they all navigate independently of each other. <laughs> I think right. our heads just exploded. Yeah, I got a white line <laughs> off the wall. Hang on a second. <laughs> and so what Prism does for Xamarin Forms is it gives you a single eye navigation service to where no matter where you navigate from, it works. So that's the problem Prism solves for Xamarin Forms is that it right. simplifies the platform uh, to where it's actually usable, especially in MVVM. Because let's be honest, if you're trying to use MVVM and Xamarin Forms, you're not, you're you're hurting, you're hurting yeah, bad, you're struggling rolling from scratch. Yeah, yeah. we're well, going to end up building something Prism-ish to try and yep. make it more manageable. Oh, for sure. But it's it's one of these traps you fall into where like flexibility becomes its own punishment. Oh yeah, that we it has so so little opinion, it gives you so many choices. You, you get this paradox of choice problem, and you just make mistakes. Yeah, and uh, you know when you start writing these things, you don't realize how complex it really gets because even though you have these complex navigation trees and hierarchies, then you got to think about, oh, what about participating in the navigation process? Navigated from, navigating to, passing parameters from a view model to a view or a view to a view model, uh, you know, and communicating between all these different parts in your app for, in, a, in a very uh, loosely coupled manner to where your application is still easy to maintain and test and all right. that great stuff. Like it gets, it gets complex when you get into the weeds. Like, am I allowed to navigate away from anything? Like, is that, can I do that? <laughs> right. What happens if I can't? Like, it's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, without a doubt. And folks, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Couchbase. Couchbase Capella Database as a Service is flexible, full-featured, and fully managed, with built-in access via KV, SQL, and full-text search. It's blazing fast, yet surprisingly affordable. Visit couchbase.com slash dot rocks. That's couchbase.com slash period N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S to try Capella today for free. No credit card required. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey. And our friend Brian Lagunas there in Idaho talking a little prism and, and uh, UX stuff in, in general, really. Because you do send, spend a lot of time just thinking about client tech. I read your blog posts and the, the work you've been doing here because you have a pretty good overview. Like I have confidence in your, your view of the landscape for a lot of these different technologies. What, what are you interested in right now besides prism? Well, I've been doing a lot of web, believe it or not. I, uh, I, what's yeah, wrong I with know. you? <laughs> I haven't actually, I haven't written a WPF app in probably the last year and a half at least. Yeah. Uh, it's been all web, uh, React, Angular, web components, just plain old mm -hmm. web components. Right. Uh, and, and some Blazor. So I've been all, all up in all that. No, no view in that mix, just React and Angular? You know, I tried uh, a little bit of view. I even I even streamed it on my Twitch channel uh, a while yeah. back, but 
none of the work I'm doing on a daily basis involves view at all. All the customers I deal with, it's all React, Angular, and Blazor. So okay, that's that's, that's, that's where that's interesting to hear, time. right? Yeah, I'm 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 almost of the opinion these days talking to various folks. It's like you almost can't hold all these different frameworks in your head because they're so philosophically different from each other. Yeah. Like they, they, your instincts, if you've been working in React for a while, your instincts in Angular are, don't go well. Like you struggle to, do, to oh, start, yeah. start thinking Angular again. It's very hard to uh, context switch between a React app and say a Blazor app. It's like, yeah, like it takes my brain a minute to like, oh, wait, that's not the syntax for this. Oh, right. wait, I don't do it this way. I got to do it this way. Uh, and it, heck, I feel the same way about programming languages sometimes too. Like bouncing between, like, for better or worse, I'm writing too much Python lately. And I write in too much Python because then I stare at C sharp and go, what's up with all this curly braces, man? Like you're freaking me out. I have a similar problem, just not just in languages, but in applications that I use mm -hmm. because uh, I use Studio One from Personas to edit audio. Right. I use uh, uh, Audition to record audio, like I'm using Audition right now to record multi-tracks. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I use Audition to edit. And then I also use uh, Premiere to edit videos. And I always find myself hitting the wrong keys just because uh, out of habit. It's like, and, right. and things happen. Boom. And no, I didn't want to do that. Undo. Undo doesn't work. Oh, no. Just, you know, <laughs> you can really screw yourself up if you don't standardize on stuff. I, and, you know, there's a point there because, you know, that's what Prism does. It's sort of gives you the the ability to develop muscle memory for things that work just everywhere. Yeah, it just works. It's, it's just goodness, all goodness. All goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so does that mean we need Prism for React? No, I. you know, the thing about Prism is I, I think, I don't really think it belongs in the web space at all. No. Uh, because the problems are different. Honestly, yeah. the problems are different in the web. Like even, for example, event aggregation. You know, that's not a problem that you're going to have on web that because web is stateless. Right. So mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to have this event aggregator sending events between different pages uh, of your, of your app, of your web app. So the, I mean, well, blazer server is stateful. Yeah. But you don't want to be sending, it yeah, will get complicated yeah, if you're trying to send messages across a stateful server yeah. in a multi-tenant environment. Yeah. The round trips get expensive. true. That's you make this is where you start making ugly things, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's, it's, ugly can be fun bounce, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm surprised you see as much React as you do too. I guess it depends on the client because uh, when I'm talking to a lot of enterprise architect types, when it comes to web, it seems like Angular one over there. Like that's what they've committed to. And, and you know why? I can tell you exactly why. Because Angular provides that framework to guide you down a path to success. Yeah, right. It. You know, that's why. And that's why Prism is so successful. All it does is says, this is how you structure your app. This is what a component looks like. This is mm -hmm. how you navigate. Yeah. This is how you inject your dependencies, you know, using dependency injection. Like, this is how you do it. Let me show you how. So being opinionated, essentially. Yes, being opinionated. Uh, exactly. And it's easy to catch on once you learn what you got to do. Now, it's very verbose. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of boilerplate. Very verbose. Right. Uh, but it it works very well. Now you come to React, it's a wild wild west. You know, <laughs> you got some some common concepts on how to do stuff, but it's right. really whatever you want, you do it right. So there's less no real opinionated. less opinionated. Do what you want, how you want. 
Uh, and so you, you have more more rope to hang yourself with, if you will. <laughs> well, and this is always the dan- dance, right? It's like I make it simple and it can't do the things I need. I make it complex and it takes too long to get anything done. Right? Yep. Or I get myself tangled up in knots and now be, I create unmaintainable projects. Exactly. Yeah, it's, now, it is an interesting balancing act. Now, along those lines, we're talking about, uh, you know, the complexity of code bases and things like that. You know, I've been working on a really cool tool at Infragistus called App Builder. Have you heard of that? No. Tell me about App Builder. So App Builder is a web-based uh, WYSIWYG designer where you drag and drop, kind of like the old WinForms days, drag and drop, design your, your web page, right? Design it, all the navigation, interactions, uh, combo boxes, bind to live data, right? To stock, uh, to to design time data. Right. Uh, and then with a click of a button, you generate an Angular app or a Blazor app, the entire application with all the views, the all the navigation, all the services, calling your data, populating data, all that awesome stuff. Scary. Well, this sounds, I mean, I think of all the flavors of this idea, right? See Ruby on Rails. See, you know, like we, the number of times we had these kind of, you're doing forms over data. There are some standard patterns. So outline the, the meaningful descriptions of the pattern you want to do, and I'll spit you some code out. Yep. And it, it's beautiful, though. You should check it out for sure. Yeah, I will. Is it, is it one way once I generate to that code? If I make any changes to that code, like those changes are going to be lost if I regenerate? Or Yeah, so right now, so we have direct integration with GitHub as well. Right. Uh, so right now, it's one way. Uh, you, can, you can download a zip file with all your code, or you can push it as a PR to your GitHub repo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't really help you in terms of, okay, I, I generated all my code with app build at the first time. Now I made some changes locally in Visual Studio Code. Which Because I it's can like, do oh, that. Because yep. you can do that. Okay, I check into GitHub. Like, oh, man, I got I to gotta add something. I got to add another screen to my right. design. So I go back to the app builder, add another screen, design it up. This is the problem we're at now is that if you were to try to generate the app. Yeah, you're going to you're going to club that. Well, at least yeah. you, because it's going through GitHub, you'll at least get that merge moment where it's like, hey, this code's being removed. Exactly. Uh, but we are working on uh, managing that merge automatically. So we're, we're, we're working on a way to keep track of the changes that you've made. Right. So we'll pull in your, your repo with all the changes you've made. We'll do our own kind of diffing, and then we'll spit out what we think is different. So who's right. we? Who's working on that Oh, okay. So is this a, a paid product? Oh, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's a paid product. Okay, commercial product. All right, yeah, that's yeah. why I never heard of it. it. It's far from free. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but the bottom, I mean, and I'm not going to say anything bad about charging money no, for software. Wrong because, we, well, plus it's the productivity measure, right? It's like, hey, you know, think about how quickly for a typical forms over data uh, that you want to work wherever you want to work. Like, this saves a lot of time. Like, to me, this reads as competition for power apps, mm. right? For other of the, we, we're in a wave of, generation tools the problem is when you generate when you make a power app you don't really have access to the code that it makes you can add your own code and consume to it but you know your appeal the appeal of app builder is it's blazer dude like go do what you want to do right yeah not only that the design surface it's really meant to help you build you know beautiful apps like i cannot i'm not a designer i can't make a pretty app i i can't do it i'm sorry but 
using a tool like App Builder, it's got like a toolbox with all the buttons and I just drag them, put them where I want them, text yeah. box, images, you know, list controls, card controls. Uh, then I apply a theme. I can customize a theme and it looks it looks amazing. Yeah, and, I, and it's consistent. Sweet. But this yeah. is, you know, coming out of the old VB days and things where we had you know, the 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 dockable windows and so forth, the sort of standard look, right? Files on the left, helps on the right. We were basically dictated a UI to our to us. And then along came the XAML lands and they said, do whatever you want. And like, what we want is ugly. Well, you know, the, the difference is the older interfaces were pixel-based. And, yeah. you know, so is the whole GUI graphics stuff in Windows, pixel-based. And then we wanted to be, you know, with the web, you have this sort of reactive kind flow of thing, based, this yeah. flow-based stuff. And so an app builder, the, is it pixel-based or is it flow-based? Uh, it's flow-based. Yeah, because you're outputting to either Angular or Blazor, so you're yeah. dependent on those. That's their so it UX. isn't like the old VB experience where you, like, put a button, you resize it with slider things. I mean, it's still no, going to be uh, – you still going to yeah, have I think underneath it's using time. the uh, – the flex grid right now, or yeah. we might have switched to CSS grid. It's one of those. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, but I, it's either the flex grid or the CSS grid. And yeah, it's 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 a web technology. Sure. It, it spits out web and uh, it works just like you would expect the web. It even supports uh, uh, responsiveness. So if you shrink down the browser and you can test out your design on different browser sizes and device sizes and things like that. Yeah. But it strikes me that you're just taking advantage of the control suite that Infratrix has to build exactly. a second layer tool to utilize those controls. Exactly, because what we've what we've discovered is that we have all the controls on you can you can ever want. Yeah. The problem is, is people have a hard time building the app. I mean, yeah. that's what it is. It's like, how do we make this look nice? Yeah. Because we're not designers. We we're a small shop or we're a shop that don't yeah. have designers on staff. It's just a bunch of developers that are throwing you know, forms over data. So how do we get something trying to make stuff that, that people don't hate? Exactly. How do I make stuff that people don't hate? And this is a, a great solution to that. Mm -hmm. And again, it's that pit of success thing. It's like, there's a default template already in play and a few other templates that are available. And Hey, if you can afford a designer, let them make a template for you and generate the app under the new template. And, and the cool thing about this is not only can you design your app, but you can actually run the app in the browser before you even generate the code. Right. So you can preview it, test it out, make sure it works exactly how you want it to work. Uh, tweak things, test it out again. You can get code for a specific element if you want or specific view, right? Kind of what you would expect uh, before you, you generate your code out. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate it. It's like for a certain number of cases, this saves a lot of time. It's like, it's not like any of us was getting to the bottom of our to-do list. Like, the infinite number of projects available to be able to put some relatively inexperienced people in front of a tool like this and say, here's the list of apps that people need. Get to it. Just turn them out. Yeah. And so part of my day job is I have to write a lot of like prototypes and proof of mm -hmm. concepts and things like that. Uh, that's why I find something like this very helpful because it allows me to just throw something together really quick and generate the code and send to the customer Instead of me having to like hand type and hand lay things out and hand type my CSS and 
it it does feel like we lost that with the old VBs and axes and so forth. But you know, the the rad experience of I can quickly throw something together and hey, it's not production ready yet, but it works. Like, is this what you want? And then they're like, yeah, ship it. You're like, well, I gotta fix some things. But <laughs> I feel Blazor oh. is as close to a rad technology on web as I've ever seen. Yeah. Ever. And I'm very very productive with ridiculously productive with Blazor, especially get, for doing get stuff those, out the door. Yeah, doing those one-off things that you were talking about, proof of concept. Well, but it's especially having a consistent UI on top of it and a look as well, right? And, and because there is an awful lot of cases that we can knock out the bulk of the solution pretty quickly. It's always how where are the edges? Like right. what won't it do for us? Sure. And that's why we have third-party companies, you know, that that do the more um, you know complex controls and components because usually you know it's because someone drops it in your lap and says oh we need a a chart or something like that and he's like oh i don't want to write a chart well let me just go let me go buy one and plug it in yeah. and that's that's always been the power of third-party components yeah no one wants to build their own no. charts no one, no <laughs> no sane really person don't. would i could do that it's easy <laughs> But you know, it's funny. Blazor is the first tech in a in a new tech in a while that that suddenly everybody was making controls for it. Like it was right. a new wave of components again. So it went back to a model we hadn't seen for a while. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, Infragistics. We just released our, our our last version of the year, our twenty one dot two, and we we pumped out like sixteen new Blazor controls. Wow. In a single release. So yeah, Blazor's getting serious now. Yeah. No, everybody, all the vendors are in, and and uh, you get quite a suite of tools. Like it, again, it's more of this rapid development where you're not building a lot of this stuff from scratch anymore because it's repeating. We all need a grid. We all need a text box. We all, you know, all need a navigation tool. Like it's the same thing. We'd like to be able to style it, but other than that, the functionality is the same. So, getting back to Prism, I guess Maui is the new frontier for you, for you guys. Maui is the new frontier. Yep. And so how is that going? Well, we have a, a private build available to our GitHub sponsors uh, that could use it if they wanted to. But getting Maui set up on a machine right now is kind of hit and miss. Mm. Mm. But yeah, so <clears throat> so Dan and myself, Dan Siegel, he's, he helps him with the Prism. Uh, he's been leading the effort on the Maui side uh, since he's more involved in it with his day-to-day -day activities. And so we, you know, we support the ability for people to sponsor via GitHub on the Prism repo. Right. And we give those people access to other builds that aren't publicly available. And the Maui one is one of those. Oh, nice. But, and what a great financing model, too. It's like, hey, if you really participate in this and help support us, then we, let's do more with you. Yeah, exactly. That's the thought behind it. And it's, it's been pretty successful. We have our own uh, Nougat feed that uh, sponsors have access to. And they get the nightly builds right away mm -hmm. where everyone else would have to wait uh, however long it takes, six months or so for us to do a release. So, uh, you're updating twice a year for Prism. Uh, it seems to be that way right now. Yeah. Mainly upgrading dependencies, you know, versions of updated, some small bug fixes, things like that. Yeah, I mean it's funny how those behaviors emerge. Right? Is like how quickly can we do this that makes sense and keeps people happy? Because you are finding, and I found this in some frameworks where they're updating quickly enough, and sometimes it's breaking changes that people get afraid to update because it's like, hey, I can't take your new version because it smashed things and I didn't expect that. As opposed to, so you slow the cadence down so people expect this is going to be a substantial amount of change. There are going to be consequences. Get prepared. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're in that right now because with our Prism 8 release, 
uh, we had a number of breaking changes to, you know, breaking changes are necessary to move things forward and correct past mistakes, you know. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, yeah. But we still have more downloads of the 7.2, I think, or whatever. Basically, the version before the 8 release. We have more downloads mm -hmm. of that version than the new version, just probably because of the breaking changes. And the inertia, right? Of yeah. existing projects, initiating stuff, initiating sk uh, existing skill sets, just wanting to leverage that. Yeah. Yeah, interesting, interesting reality that, you know, that can you overcome your past version with the new <laughs> version? Providing but, uh, enough value for that. It's funny, though. I just got a, an email or message. I forgot. I get so many messages. I forgot where it came from. Mm -hmm. Could have been an, an issue. I'm not sure. But I got a, a message from someone saying, uh, oh, is Prism dead? <laughs> nice. I'm like, like <laughs> it, it still blows my mind. I'm like, you know, if something's stable and doesn't need an update in a month, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, Is that like dead? People, it's dead. It's dead. Or working. <laughs> <laughs> what, do we, what do we used to say about Windows Forms? It's not dead. It's just done. <laughs> it's done. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there are. Even then, they've been fixing wind, uh, wind Forms. They've been adding stuff to it. Sure. Recently. Well, they, 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 the Win SDK and Core, which is the, the pixel, the, the non-pixel perfect version update to it that handles high DPI screens and all that. Uh, yep. Good stuff. Like that's the on that's that's the future version. WinForms is clearly not going anywhere. Like they they built another version of it and get and continue on with its amazing designer. Like that just yeah, does the, not the stop. last version that they released of WinForms, I think when it came over to .NET 5, I think it was. That was yeah. the last release they had. They removed a number of controls from that and totally oh. broke our WinForms product. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> like controls that we built our designers on controls that we derive from like they removed those controls and when we made the migration to .NET 5 everything was broken Boom. these controls did yeah. not exist anymore <laughs> wow. like oh Man. crap thanks a lot <laughs> yeah and you've got to go in there and figure out yeah the workarounds like the, the solution to those problems but that's always a grim day, right? The first time you do an upgrade, yeah, let's try the upgrade. Just over here. We'll just run that. It's a lot of red. You're like, oh, man. Okay, it's not going to be quick. Oh, man. <laughs> and then they went and redesigned the entire design surface in Visual Studio, which we had yeah. to rewrite all our designer. Like, it was a freaking nightmare. Wow. Nightmare. Did, was there benefit? That's always the question. Like, what, what did they get from it? Did it help Hot in reload? any way? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Hot reload, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Without a doubt. So what's next for you, man? What's on your, uh, besides more docs, you know, writing more docs and proof of concepts? Oh, God. Yeah. I still got to finish. I got to finish that. I've been working on docs all day today. It's ugh, mm. painful, but necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the strengths of Prism is it's very well documented. Yeah, we, we try. Uh, we try. There's there's still some areas I need to improve there. Um, but it, for the most part, it's it's enough to get you started and you're not banging your head against the wall too much. Right. But we do have like 35 samples on GitHub that cover every feature. So sure. regardless of docs, you can run the code. Uh, as far as what's next, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just living the dream. You know? <laughs> yeah, every day's right, a new right. adventure. <laughs> yeah. Every day's a new adventure. It's great. I did start a new hobby. What's that? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I mine crypto now. Oh, no. Oh, that's not a hobby. That's a dangerously <laughs> expensive obsession. <laughs> it's, it's not that bad. Yeah. I probably started just before last summer, built a little computer, 
made a little frame for it, got a couple GPUs. Yeah. And that thing has been just printing money. Printing it. Uh, what what uh, crypto are you mining? Uh, right now, I'm mining Ethereum. Yeah, that's okay. a good one. Yeah, it seems to be the current hotness. Yeah, well, I could do that for about another six months before that stops, and then I'll have to do something else. But right. It's actually fun. I don't know. I, I like the tinkering aspect of building these rigs. Like you got to, you know, you build a computer and you hook all these GPUs on it and get everything working and syncing and hashing and like, optimizing. Yeah. Optimi to make sure like, you use yeah. the GPUs well. Honey, we're going to need more solar panels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Overclocking all your GPUs to get the maximum performance out of them. It's like, it's right. Huh. It's really geeky and I like it, you know? So you're the reason I can't buy a video card. Yeah, right. Now I understand. <laughs> I got to go through the same process that everyone else does. I got to wait in line at Best Buy online and right. try to get one. Or pay double price on eBay. Oh, I refuse. Yeah, me too. And now you can get rid of your uh, space heaters, right? Because. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I have to, it in my I shop. Used to keep, I used to heat my room with SETI at home, but now it's Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, I put it out in my shop so uh, I don't have to hear it. And I don't have to feel the heat from it. Oh, it just stays right. out there and does its thing. Keep it cool, uh, too. I'm sure it's proper cold in, in Idaho right now, too. You just got to open oh. a window. You keep that machine chilled. Oh, no yeah, it's, it's freezing. It's freezing yeah. here. Wow. But no, it's fun. It's fun. Well, Brian, it's been fun talking to you. <laughs> so uh, Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks very much for hanging out with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always, uh, always enjoy being on the show with you guys. I appreciate the invite. And please, when you, when you need, you get bored, you're lonely, just say, hey, you know what? Give Brian, a call. <laughs> yeah, let, let's give Brian please, a call. Please. He'll talk to yeah. us. <laughs> We're dying over here. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Good to talk to you. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.